Our text is Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Give attention now to the reading of God's word. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We love the underdog story. From Jane Eyre to Rocky, 300 to Kung Fu Panda. When the unexpected, underqualified, the weak comes out on top, we applaud. Maybe it's because we all feel like underdogs deep down. Some of us can't help but show it, but we all feel it. I'm not good enough at fill in the blank. I'm faking my way through my job. So-and-so is way better than I am at, well, everything. Will I ever arrive at a place of success and rest and completion? We feel like we are perpetual underdogs. Last week in Mark, it set the stage for the dichotomy between external defilement versus impurity of heart, or of externals versus internals. The ceremonial law, Jesus said, is no longer binding. He declared all foods clean. The woman in today's passage is the underdog. She has none of the external pedigree. Yet she possesses the undefiled heart that Jesus implicitly referred to in verse 23, right before our passage starts. This is a difficult passage. Jesus responds in a way we don't expect. If we look at the book of Mark and what's been going on, Mark has described many of Jesus' massive displays of power to which the Pharisees and the disciples only respond with disbelief or misunderstanding. The woman in today's passage displays faith based solely on what she has heard about Jesus and a real change of heart that has occurred. So we're going to look at it in four parts. First, the outward movement. Second, the statement of offense. Third, the statement of faith. And lastly, the feast of crumbs. Let's start with the outward movement. This is Jesus' movement away. Last week, he was talking about ceremonial purity, which is a discussion of how one draws near to God, to the mountain, to the Holy of Holies, into the temple. This week, Jesus goes away in the opposite direction. Perhaps Jesus is headed in that direction because the delegation that has come from Jerusalem has only created conflict. Perhaps he's going to seek some rest like he was seeking in chapter 6, yet couldn't find because, once again, the crowd found him. But the emphasis that he's moving away is pretty clear here in verse 24. Listen to these phrases. From there, 
he arose and went away. So first of all, from where he was, he arose and went away. These are very intentional statements of movement. And he went away specifically to the region of Tyre and Sidon. We'll get more into what the significance of Tyre and Sidon are, but at this point, he cannot even be hidden there, which emphasizes for us that he has gone far, so far that they're shocked that people even know who he is there. It's surprising that people would know him. But if we recall what Mark has told us so far, even in chapter 3, there were people from Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him speak, so word had been circulating. News of this Jesus has been passing around the area. So Jesus goes to a distant place, an unclean world, far from God's presence in the temple, the place where it was believed that chaos dwells in the ocean. Tyre and Sidon are right on the coast, right on the edge of the developed world, if you will. And there in the unclean, distant world, he encounters an unclean person. This woman that comes to him has negative marks against her socially. First of all, she is a woman. And in the first century, women were viewed as less important. Of course, we affirm equal dignity between men and women in the image of God and in in the economy of grace. But in those days, women were almost like second-rate citizens. To make things worse, she had a daughter who had an unclean spirit. This is another source of uncleanness and spiritual antagonism. Now, Jesus has faced unclean spirits already in the book of Mark. You'll remember in the synagogue as he was preaching in chapter 1, a man with an unclean spirit fell down, but that was Jesus' home field advantage. That was one demon. But then he faced legion in a Gentile region close to Galilee. But the situation here is worse. Because not only is it in a distant land, on the edge of the disordered sea, but also the land of Tyre and Sidon in particular would be especially offensive to a good religious Jew who followed the tradition of the elders. This is a region known for its antagonism against Israel. This is the home of Jezebel. This is the place that is notorious for its pagan worship that had infiltrated the northern kingdom of Israel. And they were military enemies against Israel during the time between the Testaments. And Isaiah gave specific warnings against this region's wickedness as we read in Isaiah 23 today. How could the Jewish Messiah contaminate himself with such an anti-Jewish association? In such a place as this. To clarify the matter, Mark tells us who this woman is. She is a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She is one of the last people you would expect to be in the presence of the Messiah, much less in the presence of God. She's unclean, and she is far from the temple. She's not supposed to get the blessings that God promised to his people, not from a nationalistic understanding, but according to scripture, the ultimate blessing of the Jewish nation, Paul itemizes the blessings that the Jewish people had. The ultimate blessing is the gift of the Messiah. The rest of it pales in comparison or simply serves the blessing of seeing the Christ, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, as Paul lists in Romans 9. The point is all these build to the Messiah, who is the ultimate blessing. And here he is, in the presence of the least qualified person imaginable to a Jewish mindset. And she is so bold as to ask that he would heal her daughter. 
Yet, to hear, and to such a person, Jesus has decided to come. He's not afraid to go against the traditions and the laws of the Pharisees because the plan has always been for him to go to a place like this, for the nations to receive the blessings promised to God's children. And Jesus is about the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And as soon as he casts out this woman's daughter's demon, he is showing the kingdom of God is breaking even into the Gentile world. This is a big shift in the history of redemption. We would expect to hear Jesus really excited and applauding and so glad to come in contact with this woman. But instead, we hear what sounds on the surface to be a statement of offense. So we move now to point two, the statement of offense. This seems inconsistent with who we know Jesus to be from Scripture. We must realize, though, in Mark's context, he would not have included this if it actually did contradict his inclusion of the Gentiles. Jesus has been about the kingdom of God expanding and bringing in um, those from all nations. So Mark would not include this if it excluded that inclusion. Let's listen to what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So what it sounds like is there are some who deserve the bread and there are some who don't and they are, those who don't are the dogs, the Gentiles, those who are far away from God's chosen people. We have to understand this is like in verse 16 earlier, it's a short parable. This is a short parable. The children do represent the Jewish people. The dogs do represent the Gentiles. And the word dogs was a very, uh, dogs were not like how we consider our our golden doodles. Um, The dogs in these days were uh, wild, they were feral, they were not viewed with much favor. But the word here is, is actually unique, it's not just dogs, it's little dogs, almost like puppies. All right, so the puppies under the table it doesn't carry that same weight of disgust that the word dogs carries, but that does not eliminate that this is still offensive to be, care, to be compared with a puppy when there are children sitting at the table feasting on bread. But what Jesus says is that the children are to be first. Let the children be fed first. This is in a sense of chronology. This is uh, thinking about Romans 1 when Paul said, the Jew first and also the Greek. The Jew first and also the Greek. This is the sense, this is the the redemptive historical plan. The goal was for the Israelites to be a blessing to the nations, that through Israel, all the nations would be brought in. God started with one nation, not for the nation's glory, but in order that all the nations might be brought in to God's glory. And this is also the sense of Jesus' ministry. He has a plan. We've seen him multiple times tell people to be quiet. Because he needs to reveal who he is in the right time, the right place, and the right way, so that the news of this Messiah doesn't get out in a nationalistic military sense. So in a sense of Jesus' ministry, it's for the Jews first, for the children first. He has a plan, an order, and a design. Now the bread is a fascinating concept. When we think of bread, we, we think of what, goes, what a sandwich goes on. But bread has become a recurring motif here in in the book of Mark. And it will continue to be an important motif in coming passages. 
in chapter six, verse eight, the disciples were to bring no bread for their journey. Jesus sent them out and said, don't bring any bread, no sustenance. Bread was a basic sustenance because Jesus was going to supply their needs. And then later in chapter six, Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and they were satisfied. So far, bread has been given to the Jewish people. Bread has been given to specifically those of the Israelite nation. And now the question is whether that bread can be given to Gentiles. So Jesus' statement that prioritizes the Jews has implicit in it an invitation. An invitation for this woman to, to respond. Jesus had discerned the hearts of the Pharisees in chapter 2. We can assume he has also discerned her heart here in chapter 7. He knows her integrity and her faith. When last week ended with a discussion of the importance of the heart, not ceremonial cleanness when coming to God. So here it is, the example of a heart that draws near to God and faith. Jesus invites her, even her, to express her faith by even engaging in this conversation and opening the door for her to give a response. Now we can assume that the disciples were there with them. The disciples have not shown faith. They have simply misunderstood time after time. Maybe Jesus is using a Gentile woman in the, in the Jewish world a nobody. Maybe he's using her as an exemplar of faith for his own disciples. He needs to teach his disciples. And, the, and in this conversation with the woman... That teaching was being done. One commentator, his name is R.T. France. He's widely respected. He says it this way. Jesus appears in this passage. Jesus appears like the wise teacher who allows and indeed incites his pupil to mount a victorious argument against the foil of his own reluctance. Jesus was inviting her to speak the truth and the faith that he knew was in her heart. Before we move on to her statement of faith, let's pause and consider for a moment who we are. Are we one of the least of these? God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame what the world sees as great. You are not least in God's kingdom. Are your sins great? They're not too great for Christ's blood. Are you an outcast? Then cast yourself on Jesus. And he will welcome you. The real indictment in this passage is against those who are great by certain standards. Those like the Pharisees who have all the pedigree, all the external cleanness, yet don't have a change of heart. The display of faith hasn't come from any who have such a pedigree except Jairus. Yet here the woman expresses it's so clearly. So far, only, the only ones who have seen Jesus are the weak, the hurting, the distant, the Gentiles, the women, the unclean. So let's look at her statement of faith. Let's look at her statement of faith in verse 28. Listen to what she says. In response to the Messiah, she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. We got to break this down. 
This is loaded and it is rich. She says, yes, Lord. This is the only time Jesus is called Lord in this entire book. Somebody gets it. Somebody addresses him as he is. Now, this word can mean just sir or master. But for Mark's readers, as he was writing this, this word rings with worship. She is finally at the feet. She has fallen down at his feet. She is calling the Lord, the Lord. And she's the first one. Jesus is the Lord. And then she says, yet even the dogs. Yet even the dogs. There's great humility in her statement here. She does not deny her ritual, ethnic, or gender status as defined by the culture of the day. She doesn't try to say, but I am, I'm like this, and I'm, I'm actually ceremonial clean, and I have this much Jewish blood. She doesn't begin that conversation. She says, sure, I'm a dog. She knows that it's not the impressive people of the world that Jesus saves, but the unimpressive. Because to Jesus, Paul tells us in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. She still boldly comes because she understands exactly what Mark told us last week, that the approach to God is not an issue of the external, but of the internal. It's an issue of the heart. And here we see an undefiled heart. And then she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table, under the table. This is the table where bread is served to the children. This is where the Messiah is given to his people. And she comes falling down at the feet of the bread of life at the table. She knows the real place of blessing. It's not in the temple anymore. It's not in the local synagogue. It's not at the feet of the scribes, the rabbis, and the Pharisees. It's not in the bloodline of the tribes of Israel. The real place of blessing is at the feet of the one who perfectly fulfills and represents Israel. Emmanuel, God with us. Faith brings one under the table to the feet of Jesus. I think of the prayer from the Valley of Vision. It goes, it's, uh, the prayer is called Evening Praise, and it goes like this. I'll just read a phrase here. I take my place beneath my great Redeemer's cross, where healing streams continually descend, where balm is poured into every wound, where I wash anew in the all-cleansing blood, assured that you see in me no spots of sin. Brothers and sisters, our place is at the foot of the cross, at the feet of our Savior. And this woman came and fell down at the right place, at the feet of Jesus. And then she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She boldly lays claim to what belongs to the Jewish children. What the children have neglected falls to any who will take it. God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The benefits that had been offered to Israel are now passed on to any who believe. Immediately here in our Mark in context, the disciples don't understand about the bread. Neither did the Pharisees understand who Jesus is, but this woman does. This bread 
And these crumbs are not just ministry to Jews. This bread represents Jesus himself, as it did when he fed the 5,000, and as it will do at at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. The disciples were worried about not having enough bread because they don't see the sufficiency of Jesus. But this woman knows that even a crumb of Jesus is enough because he is all sufficient. By faith, she stated and demonstrated complete trust in Jesus despite her so-called unworthiness and she received the abundant blessings of God's children. As a little dog under the table eating crumbs. Let's look at that feast of crumbs. As we consider this, we have to realize we are just like this woman. We are little dogs. We have no right. No one who has forsaken their God has right to this. Yet we come and we see that there is grace even for us. The feast of crumbs here. This woman's statement reveals her faith. It's faith that takes hold of the Savior who offers the feast. And what we see is the dogs actually don't just get crumbs as if they are hungry when they are done. They get the fullness of the rights of children as illustrated by the restoration that Jesus gives her in verse 30 with her daughter's full restoration. The freeing of this girl from bondage to evil demonstrates the full picture of salvation, even for Gentiles, and the new life that God offers to his children. The miracle of bondage from an evil spirit shows us the power of salvation worked in every single person who is freed from the bondage to sin and who trusts in Jesus. Yes, Jesus had a careful plan for the revelation of the feast for the Gentiles as well, but let's fast forward to him hanging on the cross at the end of Mark, there's another offensive Gentile standing right there beside the cross, the Roman centurion, and he, by faith, says, truly this man was the Son of God. There he sees the bread of life on the tree torn for his people to save them, and by faith he becomes a child of God like Abraham, David, and the most faithful of the Israelites. There on the cross was enough bread to feed 5,000 or 5 million or 5 billion or more. Paul says in Galatians 3, 28, which we read earlier, that there's no longer slave or free, Jew or Gentile. He continues on in verse 29, he says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Every ounce of benefit afforded to Abraham is now offered to any Gentile who believes because of the family line of faith, the line of promise. The Old Testament promises abound for the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's people. We're expecting it. And for those who are in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These crumbs are a feast of every spiritual blessing. Benefits that God has promised to his people are given to Christ's people today. And in them, we also see a picture of the coming glory for all those who believe in Jesus. In a real sense, the bread of the Jewish children is actually a placeholder for the feast of crumbs offered to those who are in Christ. 
The promises of land and security and abundance simply anticipate the fullness of the promise to Christians, the new creation, eternal security, and abundance of the presence of God. And Mark himself has done quite a thorough job as we've gone through this book of showing us how Jesus has taken an Old Testament understanding and fulfilled it. He's fulfilled the promises that used to be reserved for a specific nation, and he is showing their fuller meaning as he proclaims the kingdom, as they are given to all who see Jesus as he is, just like this woman has done. I can give you a few examples. As we itemize what Mark has done so far, you consider John the Baptist and Elijah, the Old Testament prophets. Well, now Jesus is the final prophet and he speaks to us. The Sabbath rest that the Pharisees turned into a rule. Well, now the Lord's day is a gift of life and rest, which we taste now and which we long for in the new creation. These teachings that the scribes and the Pharisees gave in the synagogue, well, now Jesus taught with authority. He communicated God's word with clarity so that we can understand all of the Old Testament with its fullness in light of who Jesus is. You have the bad shepherds, but Jesus is the good shepherd. You have the tradition of the elders, but God's word alone teaches what duty God requires of man. You have the Old Testament ceremonial law, and we see that Christ fulfilled that and makes holy any who place themselves in him by faith. And there are a few more that Mark has not specifically addressed yet that are helpful for us to understand. The Exodus As they were freed from bondage, so we are freed from our bondage to sin. As they were given manna in the wilderness, so Jesus offers himself as the bread of life to all who come to him. As they were promised the promised land, so we are promised the new earth. As they were given the tabernacle and the temple, so now we, by the Spirit's presence, each believer and each church is the place where God dwells. The Jewish children's crumbs are now the bread for the Gentiles. Blessings abundant. Now, for you and for me, where does this leave us? If you are in Christ, you have a feast offered to you. If you are in Christ, there are blessings abundant in Jesus. We have union and communion with Christ in grace and in glory. He has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We have justification and adoption and sanctification those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8. We are received as God's children. We have his name put upon us, and we are under his fatherly care. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs 14. We have a forward-looking hope. We have a real sense of God's love. We have a peace of conscience. We have a joy in the Holy Spirit. And we have the hope of glory. We're headed to the promised land. You are not less than. You are not a second-rate citizen. You, as a Gentile dog, just like me, you have rights to every benefit Inheritance, abundance, privilege, status, joy, comfort, hope, and more that was ever afforded to the sons and daughters of the Creator King. That's what we receive in Jesus Christ. You don't need to clean yourself up. 
You don't need to show yourself off at church in order to have this access. You don't need to become like the religious elite with their fancy prayers. You don't need to reenact the ancient feasts for some kind of experience. You don't need to pretend like you've not sinned grievously this week. All we need to do is fall down at the feet of Jesus, the one who knows us and the one who loves us and welcomes us. We come in repentance and we offer him our hearts and faith. Jesus is all sufficient for all your insufficiencies. If you're lacking in holiness, he has you covered. If you're lacking in the right words to pray, his spirit intercedes for you. If you're longing to connect with God through some regular tangible means, he's promised to meet us here in his church and as we eat the bread and drink the wine of the Lord's Supper. If you've never gotten to the point of letting go of reputation and worldly definitions of yourself, now is the time. Look to the sacrifice that Christ has made for you as the abundant offer of God's love for you. And this saves you from your sins. If you trust Christ, remind yourself of your proper place at the feet of Jesus. Remember that we feast on crumbs and these crumbs are all sufficient because we partake of Jesus himself. So let us now prepare our hearts to come and to receive this feast of the Lord's Supper now.